Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If that sounds good to you, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. All of our new episodes drop there every Monday, so we'll have a fresh, when the season starts, we'll have a nice fresh perspective every Monday for you on your drive to work or your walk to your office or wherever you might be, uh, what you might be doing. But go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed and subscribe. Then on social media, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, and Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports Nashville.com for all the stuff. Zach Right. I had to start off this episode uh, in celebration. The SEC football theme uh, had to do it to him. <sighs> so glad that football this coming week, we are what, six days away as of Sunday night. By the time folks are listening to this, it'll be just five days and we will have SEC football back. Real football. We've had to endure the Big 12, the ACC, all of this nonsense. But finally, uh, God's gift of football will be back this coming Saturday when the Southeastern Conference takes the field for the first time in 2020. Oh, Zach, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. All I can think about besides football on Saturday is that am I alone in the fact that I I miss uh, hearing Vern Lundquist on CBS like I know he caught a lot of flat for the way he pronounces names and how he was sometimes five seconds behind the play not really sure what was going on but just his voice it's just Saturdays in the fall to me like it's the soundtrack to Saturdays in the fall especially for somebody like me that's not 40s 50s that remembers you know older announcers like Vern Lundquist is kind of who I've grown up come of age with and I miss hearing that voice on Saturdays. Sweet, sweet Uncle Vern. Uh, he he was truly a legend. Um, I had a bit of a history with Vern. I, I very much miss him, got to meet him, had the pleasure of meeting him outside Neyland Stadium during the final season that he called games. Also ended up... I Do you know the story, Zach? The stuff that happened? Do you go back that far with like knowing the... Okay, it doesn't. I don't seem think like so. It. No, no. You give me no. a weird look. Go ahead. So, this was probably 2016, I think, before the 2016 season. Uh, Will Greer was the starting quarterback for Florida, uh, and he had come, yeah, whatever that situation was. I was tweeting about something with Will Greer. It turns out that Will Greer's brother is like a is a super famous like kids actor. 
or something. It's he's like really yeah, it's YouTube, some YouTube star yeah. or something. At at that time, back then, he had like five million followers on like Instagram and uh, Twitter and stuff. Oh, it was Vine. It was Vine. Vine. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yes, he was Vine famous. That's yes, R.I.P. Vine. <laughs> Never really used it, but nope. I didn't know it existed. Um, but he, yeah, super famous on there, and he was Will Greer's brother, and he he quote tweeted what I said uh, about Will Greer, and this army. I do remember this now that you're going into this. Yeah. <laughs> this army of little children, little girls, attacked me. They were like, you're so stupid. You don't know anything. You're a d- dummy. Is it? And at that time, and I, I still, to this day, I have a picture of Vern Lundquist in my, uh, in my profile on Twitter. Back then, it was something a little bit different with Vern, and now it's me with Vern um, on Twitter. And... Will Greer, or I, sorry, the, his brother, the brother tweeted. Nash, is it Nash? Nash, Na- Nash Greer. Nash, Nash, yeah. Yes, Nash Greer. He tweeted and he was like, in, in response to that tweet and talking about me and like, I was really indignant and I just, I laughed about it. I thought it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And he tweeted, he was like, I thought with age came wisdom. He like tweeted something <laughs> like that. And I was like, this kid. This kid thinks I'm Vern Lundquist. Oh. He thinks I'm Vern Lundquist, and I lost my mind. It was it that was is, really really funny. That is funny. I do remember that now that you yeah. mentioned it. I wasn't sure where where you were going with that story, but yes, that yes, that is hilarious, <laughs> and not at all surprising given. It, I remember when when all that happened. That's how I found out about Nash Greer being a Vaughn star or whatever. And I remember looking. I vividly remember looking up, like googling his name and, and watching these vines, and I was just very confused. I'm I don't consider myself a curmudgeon. I don't consider myself somebody that's like kids these days. I just don't get what they're doing. Like I get that generations evolve and this and that, but I was genuine genuinely confused by how that guy's famous, as famous as he is or was. So many of those people. I, I had some friends who are grown people. And they were like, hey, you should check out TikTok. Our kids showed it to us, and now we think it's hilarious. We've started watching it. I was like, I don't know about this. I looked it up. Needless to say, I am not, it did not convert me. Um, I don't get it. Then the thing that I saw, the kids that are super popular. And I mean, we're talking, what, 10 million followers or something these kids have? Uh, They lip sync songs. They mm-hmm. lip sync. Yeah. What? Dude, at least like Justin Timberlake has an amazing voice and could dance and stuff. Like he was, you know, he was the TikTok kid of my generation, you know. At least he had like real talent. He was really doing stuff, you know. And they're lip lip syncing? What are we doing? I anyway, I if that, now if that it, makes me sound like a real old guy. No, if the if the TikTok is funny at all and there i have seen some funny things come from that platform it it makes it to instagram or one of the meme pages that that people follow and if it's funny enough relevant enough it makes it to there or twitter something like that otherwise i don't need to go i don't need to download the app and try to see it i'm hip i use the instagram i'm i'm on the instagrams (laughs) yes so hip uh but nonetheless that is my 
you know, I'm inextricably linked uh, to, to Vern Lundquist that way. And I would, oh, what I would give to have Vern back. He does still call some of the Masters, and the Masters is supposed to happen mm. in November, right? So hopefully yes. he's back around uh, for that. You know, another one, not to get too far off on that, is Brent Musburger. Hearing him on Saturday yeah. nights, I missed uh, it. You're and Chris, looking and live. Chris Fowler does a great job. I love Chris Fowler, but just Brent Musburger. I walked up behind him one time in the Neyland press box and he was calling the game that night and he was sitting there talking to Jimmy Himes in the food line and just listening to him talk his normal conversation voice. He sounds just like he does yeah. in the middle of a game. Like sometimes you hear those guys and in, in conversation, they kind of sound different. Not him. That's the same voice. Like it's, uh, I miss him. Seeing, seeing, doing media, for the, for the few years that I did at Tennessee, you do get to be around those guys. They are just up there in the press box with you, and you get to see them. And it is really interesting to kind of see any of them in an element that is not in the booth, speaking into a camera. Um, like, I I can say this, and I don't want to speak poorly to the guy, because I do not know him personally, but I would say what I've seen of, like, Jordan Rogers, real pretty boy, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on The Bachelor. Yeah. To, to what I've seen of him in a natural environment, he's like who you think he is. I would put it that way. Like he he presents as just as much of a pretty boy in real life as he does on TV, I would say. Although I, I will get I'll say this. He has grown more on me. Obviously, there will always be bitterness because he played at Vanderbilt, but outside of that, he he has gotten better. I, I don't uh, at first I was like, turn this guy off. I don't want to listen to this dude on a broadcast. And I'm like yeah, he, I mean, like anything, you improve. I, I yeah. never came across him in the press box. Um, I did have an awkward, like, kind of me and Joe Tessitore sat and ate lunch together. Really? We really only said, like, four <laughs> words to each other. And we were sitting there watching. It was like a Michigan game or something. We are just sitting there eating. And he's uh, – it was before the game. And uh, he was very quiet, just off in his own little world, not really talkative. Some of those guys are really chatty and just want to talk it up with with whoever's around, but not not Joe Tessitore. Interesting. Yeah, I've had had a few weird interactions like that that we could talk about all day, <laughs> but that's we're getting off way off the point. The point is, SEC football is coming back, uh, and. That's really exciting, and among SEC football teams is our beloved Tennessee Volunteers. They will be playing South Carolina, and we're we're essentially going to uh, devote the rest of this podcast to talking about that uh, game and previewing what exactly we think is going to happen, giving you a little thousand foot view of where South Carolina is at. And but first, let's do address this because it did happen and we have on this podcast week to week just followed the saga and in and out and everything that's happened the big 10 is back and that's something it is in the exact form that we thought it was going to be where you know they're going to play this truncated schedule and they're not giving themselves any room for uh really kind of canceling, postponing games and things. It's going to be interesting. But what I wanted to bring up was that you and I had talked about, they released their their coronavirus rules. They are absolutely set up to fail. The Big Ten, if it goes off without, I mean, I'm talking multiple games every week being postponed, I will be fascinated to see how they do it. Because it not it, it was like, 
anything over a 5% positivity rate, you shut down all activities for seven days, 5% of a team is five guys. Like, generally speaking, you know, depending on what your roster size is. But Well, if they count walk-ons, it would be... It'd be like yeah, five, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that. You, generally, your roster like hangs around 100-ish, yeah. somewhere in there. I mean, that's five guys. <laughs> like, that's... You, you're talking, what, two weeks ago... Tennessee had what was it seven or eight Pruitt said mm-hmm. all in one little batch. Now they have that's only happened over the over this preseason. I think they've had a situation like that what maybe twice ish. But well, it's happened had, already had, to Tennessee. They had some guys test back in after July fourth, and they had some guys test positive, but he never ever told the numbers on that, so we don't really know how many at that time. And he didn't have to, and that's that's fine. They weren't practicing, um, but. You would think they've kind of got through, like Pruitt said, he thinks they're on the downswing of everything. I imagine LSU mentioned that they, at Ogeron, I think, said this week that he thought most of the team had had coronavirus at some point. Now, who knows how accurate that is hey, coming from Cocho, but you know. it's kind of an advantage at this point, if we're being totally honest. Honestly, I mean, bodies, look, you know? I think there was a joke going around early on that Nick Saban might try to expose half his team to it or his whole team to it to get through it <laughs> by the time the season starts. I wouldn't run it past him, frankly. But with the Big Ten doing this, I said it on Twitter this week, I really think they're just trying to save face. They're trying to, hey, we're going to play. Because they, they're they pointing out that health guidelines have changed. I mean, nothing's changed. It is what it is. It's what it has been. There's been no major breakthrough over the past couple of weeks that would have led them to change their minds. I think they want to appear like they're trying and they're banking on it failing. I that's certainly what it feels like. It's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but it's you know what? That's that's what it looks like. I mean, like, they look terrible to begin with, so why not yeah, try it? Exactly. Kind of give yourself an excuse. Uh, when Plus, things the do schools the schools want to play, so it's not like there's some pushback against it unless you work for USA Today and you're writing columns about how it's the worst day in college football history. I could not believe who it was. Uh, Christine Brennan, right? Yes, that wrote that was the the darkest day in Big Ten football. Christine, uh, Jerry Sandusky, uh, Larry Nasser. They, they Mar- had, uh, Maryland had a player die. Yeah, <laughs> the know? darkest day in Big Ten football. Like, get some perspective. I unbelievable that. Mm, no, anyway, there, there's that. Just wanted to just wanted to address that because it obviously uh, the Big Ten hangs out in the same stratosphere as the SEC. The SEC, obviously, the superior league, um, but just an interesting development this week where they released those guidelines. And Isn't I it? think both of us looked at it and we were like, "What is this?" It's kind of funny with the uh, ACC's played this week, and uh, it's it, it doesn't even feel like college football's back yet, right? Like not it's not, not really. really back until Saturday when the SEC plays. Exactly. And so, still, nobody cares about the Pac-12, by the way. Nope. The sad, sad Pac-12. They did, I saw. <laughs> I don't, this is not funny, because I feel awful. I Genuinely, I feel terrible for all the players in the Pac-12, because I, I can't imagine being a player that wants to play and having all of this apathy around you. That has to be the most, the, has to be the most frustrating thing ever. Um, but California, I think, kind of looked, and they were like, oh, the big... 10 is playing and then the, i think it was the governor of california came out and he was like well actually we said you can't do contact sports but maybe maybe you can 
maybe. And they like made some lukewarm statement where they're like, actually, you can start contact sports. Maybe the Pac-12 can't play. And they, I don't know. They're talking about it now, but I, I doubt it. I highly doubt that'll happen. We'll see. I'm rooting for him. I want the Pac-12 to be back because I oh, feel yeah. I'm sick for those players. But Look, I've said that the best solution at this point is to come up with, here's your college football expansion. Have a separate playoff, a junior college football playoff for the Pac-12 and Big Ten. It's kind of like a sub <laughs> playoff there. I I wouldn't mind it because yeah the the Big Ten's only doing eight games right, and then a conference championship, so it would be nine in total. But like I said, they're not really building in any extra weeks uh, to give themselves to do makeup games, which is precarious at best. So. There's going to be some nonsense there where like a seven win Ohio State because two of their games got canceled is undefeated and eight and two Georgia or eight and two Auburn or something. Yeah, doesn't get in. Yeah, exactly. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Moving on, moving up South Carolina and Tennessee play in Columbia on Saturday. It's so exciting to say that. Let's all knock on all the wood, everything that you have around you. Make sure we know no cases, no contact tracing, no nothing. Let's make sure that everybody's healthy. Everybody uh, is is able to play on both sides uh, of this matchup, and we will have Tennessee football on Saturday. And to start off, I think the conversation, we, we have to begin, like I said, with sort of a thousand-foot view of South Carolina, and the biggest piece of that is South Carolina's quarterback, which we all thought was going to be Ryan Holinsky who was the quarterback last year. Tennessee uh, ended up beating 41-21. Holinsky, he was, uh, I believe, looking here, he was 4-7 and seven as a starter, threw for 2,357 yards and 11 touchdowns um, in all of those games. Only 11 touchdowns and five interceptions. Not great. Uh, could certainly be better. He did beat Georgia. He did. That is true. That was their entire, you know, that was the, the highlight of their season. They went four and eight last year. Uh, and Will Muschamp is squarely on the hot seat. Make no mistake about that. I I mean, I just got to think that if this season goes poorly, he gets the boot um, and probably has to somehow he's conned his way into staying in the SEC. I oh, yeah. He'll go he... coach at Vanderbilt after this when Derek Mason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'll continue to fail sideways. <laughs> um but nonetheless, Ryan Holinsky is not going to be the starter. It's going to be Colin Hill, according to Will Muschamp. Uh, obviously, this situation was uh, a little surprising, uh, even to people around South Carolina, although uh, there was definitely talk that Holinsky didn't exactly have that that starting spot cemented in place. But uh, Muschamp, at the practice where they announced uh, the, the starter, he he pointed out... This right here, this is a quote from Muschamp. He said, obviously, there was an advantage for Colin Hill playing for Mike Bobo before. Schematically, there are some things that helped him. To me, that almost explains it all. And when I guess I should give a context. I don't think that we mentioned this. Colin Hill is a transfer from Colorado State. Mike Bobo got fired from Colorado State and is now the uh, offensive coordinator at South Carolina. To me, I look at this and I say, Colin Hill knows Mike Bobo. He knows Mike Bobo's offense. He's ready to play in Mike Bobo's offense, you would think. Uh, and so he's getting the starting knot. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, 
go with the guy you're familiar with that kind of knows the offense. It's less of a transition, less learning on the job. Plus, Colin Hill kind of looks like a skinny Steven Garcia after I doodled Dude, his does. photo, and it is kind of <laughs> freaky. <laughs> like, you're crossing yes. between that and maybe a little Will Greer in there, too. So, <laughs> I, I cannot get past that now that I'm staring at it. Wow. I had not thought. That is really funny. I'm looking at a picture of him. <laughs> Dude, he does look exactly like Steven Sorry. Garcia. That's really funny. Wow. Um, but, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and that's kind of... You know, if you're Tennessee, you're probably watching more Colorado State game film right now than you are South Carolina offense, which is kind of a weird thing to do. But that that's how it's probably I bet that's how Pruitt is preparing. No, I'm I'm sure that's the case, which interestingly enough, didn't Jimmy Brumbaugh. No, he came from Colorado, not Colorado State. Yes. That's right. Yeah. But Will Friend, I think, was he on staff with Mike Bobo at Colorado State at some point? Will Friend? Am, yeah. Yes, that is so, the case. So. I believe that's where he came from, uh, if I'm thinking correctly. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's some familiarity there. Um, nonetheless, Mike Bobo has been in the SEC uh, before he mm-hmm. went to Colorado State, so there's uh, plenty of knowledge out there about the way that he runs things. Uh, but you look at Colin Hill's stats. He tore his ACL last year, and he's coming back from that. He played in three games. And threw for 837 yards, six, a 67% completion percentage. Not bad. Pretty good, yeah. Um, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. In three games, he had almost as many touchdowns as Ryan Holinsky had in uh, 11 last year. Uh, so oof, do it that way, you will. But uh, this is a, a tough situation to really provide uh, analysis to personally because I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch any of Colorado State play any of their games last season. So my, my familiarity with Colin Hill is not super high. Uh, but I, I think there's a chance that it could just be very similar to the Helinski situation. We're not really sure exactly where he, how he's going to slot in, how he's going to play, what it's going to look like. Tennessee just has to be prepared. You got to do what you got to do uh, and be ready for this guy. And uh, the rest of the offense uh, South Carolina lost some very important pieces uh, in this last uh, offseason in their uh, wide receiver room. They lost the leading wide receiver in Brian Edwards in uh, at running back. They lost Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle, who were their two top uh, running backs. There's a lot of reset here, and I don't want to say Tennessee's flying blind, but there, there's a lot of new pieces coming in, even though in some sense that could be an advantage for Tennessee. It could be, but offensively, I'm I'm really concerned about wide receiver Shaw Smith. He's so fast. He runs a sub 4-4, I believe, in that area. Those are players, that kind of speed is kind of giving Tennessee some trouble. He's He's the guy. I mean, he is... South Carolina's top receiver at this point this year. And I don't know. I mean, I, those guys, explosive plays tend to t- tend to kill Tennessee traditionally. I mean, obviously, Derek Ansley and Jeremy Pruitt do a great job with the secondary. And they have some – they have a deep secondary as we went over last week. Uh, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about this guy. Like, I feel like if, if something is going to bite Tennessee this game, it's going to be Smith. Who was the receiver they had before? It was uh, Debo, Debo, Debo Samuel. Samuel. Yeah, yeah, and just nightmare. Shredded. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and you just you get a guy who's just a, a matchup nightmare, and he'll eat you alive. I do, in some sense, get that feeling. I, I I would say, on the whole, when I look at South Carolina's receiving core compared to Tennessee's uh, defensive backfield, I think Tennessee has the advantage, but I don't know that Tennessee has the advantage at this single spot. I don't know that they have a guy that can fully take on Shai Smith and and shut him down. And how creative how creative does Mike Bobo get with him? I mean, you're not just talking about getting him down the field vertically. I mean, how creative do they get trying to get him the ball kind of in open space and make something happen? That's that's the kind of plays that that really kill Tennessee. I think it they are a formidable opponent, but when I, I look at a, a straight up matchup, Tennessee's eleven guys versus their eleven guys, um where South Carolina's on offense, Tennessee on defense, Tennessee does have the advantage overall, specifically the advantage coming at the linebacker spot and, and the defensive backs. I think just Tennessee has more talent overall there. Um, but realistically, this comes down to the way that Colin Hill plays, I think. Um, can he get the ball to Shai Smith and and be an effective uh, yeah. leader in Mike Bobo's offense? Not really sure. He hasn't played football in like a year. And he's went, never been a starter in the SEC. Yeah, it's so it's so tough to say. Uh, tons of unknowns in South Carolina. Tennessee's been Tennessee, been kind of down, but under Pruitt, they're obviously on the way up. They were a had a plus five hundred record in the SEC last year. He's going up some against some veteran SEC defensive backs in Bryce Thompson, Elante Taylor, Trayvon Flowers coming back. Some of those guys, I mean, it's gonna they're fast. They know what they're doing back there. They're going to be able to confuse Hill. They're going to be able to give him different looks. Ansley is very creative with his defense. You know, I, I do think it's advantage Tennessee. I agree with you in the secondary going up against Hill, but just that unknown of what to expect from Hill, we we don't know. That is kind of the uncertainty there. Of yes, Tennessee should win. They do on paper have the advantage but we just haven't seen it in action. We don't really have anything to go off of with Hill. We'll, we'll see. My prediction, and I guess you, you can give yours too here, my prediction is that South Carolina's offense is very rusty. To just have so many new pieces here and a, obviously a new quarterback with a new offensive coordinator and all this, I, I just get the feeling they're going to be rusty. The chemistry's not just not going to be there yet. You got a guy who's never played SEC ball before. And they they just don't have have what it probably takes in this game. And I would say if Tennessee can score 24 points, I think they'll be golden. I, I have a really hard time believing that South Carolina could put together sort of a patchwork like this and produce more than that. But, uh, you know, I talked on the radio for three years prior to this. And let me tell you, I was wrong most of the time. So um, there we'll see, but it is, that's just my prediction. When I look at this matchup, I think Tennessee's offensive line should be able to protect Garantano. I think they should give Eric Gray, Ty Chandler, some running lanes. Then I think Jeremy Banks and Henry Toto and linebacker will be the difference. I think the energy that Banks brings in his return, I think we'll see I think we'll see him make some plays. I think we'll see him maybe generate a turnover. Toto, you know what he brings. I think that's the difference, the linebackers. 
I hope so. I, I'm excited to see that. That might be the position I'm the most excited to see outside of like, you know, just to see how Jarek Aaron town is going to be. Uh, but I'm really excited to see the, the evolution of Toto, Jeremy Banks back. There's, there's some exciting pieces. Oh yeah. Crouch. We didn't even mention Crouch at linebacker. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's just a, a quick look at South Carolina's offense on defense the their leader in sacks here comes back in Aaron Sterling. Their overall leader in tackles, Ernest Jones, linebacker. He is back also, but then past that, their second leading tackler, TJ Brunson, is gone. Uh, the second leader in the uh, actually the second and third leaders in sacks, Javon Kinlaw, DJ Wanham. They're both gone. Some more reset happening on defense, but it's a little more stable on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and Will Muschamp is a defensive guy. I I feel like this, you know, I said I think Tennessee needs to score 24 points to probably win this game. I don't think it's going to be a super easy task. Will, like I said, Will Muschamp, defensive guy. He's put together some pretty competent defenses in the past. Um, and, and last year with Tennessee scoring 41 points, some of that wasn't there. There was a kick return. There was a defensive touchdown. Uh, it's not like Tennessee just blew up for 41 points last year. So uh, I I suspect 24 points might be not the easiest thing to come by. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it comes down to how the offensive line plays against this defense. And there's a lot of question marks with the Tennessee's offensive line at the moment. Are they as advertised or will it not be quite as good as we expected? Is Cade Mays going to play? Wanya Morris has only practiced two or three times in the last three weeks. How many reps has he got in? How rusty is he? I mean, that that's they haven't had a lot of time to gel together, which Jeremy Pruitt said this week is extremely important for the offensive line more than any other position, playing next to the same guys, knowing kind of how they're going to move, where they're going to go exactly. It's more than just a play call. It's kind of knowing that guy beside you's tendencies and where you need to pick up the slack. They haven't been able to practice in that capacity very much lately, and Will Muschamp's defenses are disruptive. So is Tennessee's offensive line as advertised, or has the, because of the coronavirus pandemic and and the SEC and NCAA not clearing Mays in a timely manner, going to set that offensive line back? If they can perform the way they're supposed to, then I think Tennessee will be fine. And as far as special teams, like you mentioned, that's another position where Jeremy Pruitt has mentioned that they haven't really been able to get in the amount of reps that they wanted on special teams because of so many players being out. It's been a – obviously, this goes without saying. It's been a weird offseason. Uh, <laughs> but it everything that you mentioned there, you, you brought in all of the really relevant points. You've had guys having to sit out because – for a myriad of reasons, you had uh, a decent number of, of just aggravating injuries and things like that. But yeah, with the contact tracing and guys just having this quarantine away for some indeterminate amount of time with, you know, where like it, with it's Morris, just, it's crazy because unless I'm misunderstanding what Pruitt said the other day, he hasn't been diagnosed with COVID, but he's had to quarantine twice because of contact tracing and missed, you know, however I mean, 23 days of practice or however, however many days it was because of two separate quarantines, but he hasn't actually been sick, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of bizarre. And, but that's, it's just, that's the times right now. Exactly. 
that's the weirdness of this offseason is something like that. Like I said with the Big Ten, if you have 5% positives on your team, the whole team has to shut down uh, for seven days. Thankfully, it's not like that in the SEC, but uh, it it is creating these odd situations where guys are not getting the adequate amount of practice that you would hope that they would get. And it, it is what it is. And, and there's that, that factor about it. Now I do look again, when I evaluate both sides of the ball, Tennessee, in my opinion, does have the advantage uh, offensively over South Carolina's defense, but they're going to be stingy. They're going to be a Will Muschamp defense. And I don't know if there's anybody, uh, a coach in the sec currently that just directly pisses me off more than Will Muschamp just by his existence on the sidelines. I just, his, his demeanor and the fact that he's had Tennessee's number for so long um, is really annoying. Uh, and I expect that to continue mm-hmm. with this game, but at Tennessee least he should. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. At least if, if he does beat Tennessee this year, I mean, I know they're at South Carolina, but he won't be able to make any comments about shutting the fans up or, <laughs> like he has before that's <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> that's true um but i i do look at this and i say tennessee should be better tennessee should win this game but should you know it's easier said than done and so can can jared take that step that he needs to take please god i hope he does can Eric Gray have the breakout that, we're, that I think we're all thinking he will? It definitely looked like he was poised to do it at the end of last season. Do you have the guys, a wide receiver, who are going to step up? Can Josh Palmer uh, and and potentially some of these younger guys fill uh, the the incredibly, I would say, legendary shoes of Juwan Jennings uh, and kind of lift that unit up? And then, as you're saying, is the offensive line going to be as advertised? Will Cade Mays play? We're not sure. And then uh, are the rest of the guys in in tip top shape? In you know, are they in uh, in their prime right now? Because we need them to be. And so, yeah, hopefully they, they stay healthy. I mean, we saw the NFL today. How many star players man. went down today? It was like bloody Sunday there for the NFL. Yeah, I hope we don't see that in the SEC in in the first weekend of the year. Yeah. I, it, it definitely made me wonder, is it some phenomenon with the way that the NFL has been practicing differently? Although it hasn't been, from what I've seen, it hasn't been that different. But, you, I mean, it was crazy. Just tons of stars, like star power going down in the NFL uh, today. But hopefully that does not happen with, with college ball. But all things considered, Tennessee is the better team here. Uh, and there's really no way to get around it. Pruitt's yeah. not going to have an excuse. The, this this is a, a win on paper. Yeah, I mean, and, isn't it nice to go into a season, an SEC season opener, Tennessee's playing on the road, and they're favored to win? I mean, when yes, was the last I, time you were able to say that? Exactly. The These are interesting times all the way around, including the fact that Tennessee is a road favorite <laughs> in an SEC football game. And... And I believe it's, is it a, what, three and a half, I think was the last yeah. that I saw. Three and a half point favorite there around um, for Tennessee in this game. Uh, so, well, but before we get to a straight up prediction for what you think, because I did ask on on Twitter for for some fan predictions, and and we'll talk about those, what, uh, what all y'all said about it. 
And but then we'll give our prediction to kind of end the show. But first, Zach, you had an idea. You wrote about it today on A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. You can go read this uh, about what Tennessee should do with their first drive of the game, uh, or I guess the first drive of the season, you would yes. say. Uh, what was your idea there? Well, I think most Tennessee fans know and can kind of remember the last several seasons, the first drive of the year for Tennessee has not been very good. I mean, there's there's all this hype all offseason. We've seen it three years in a row. There was hype for the Georgia Tech game, hype for the West Virginia game. Not a lot of hype for the Georgia State game, but just kind of like, hey, year two of Pruitt, we're expecting a lot. And each of the last three years, Tennessee's offense has not delivered early. 2017, Tennessee ran five plays for 10 yards. They punt. They use like a minute and a half a game clock. 2018 against West Virginia, they run three plays, minus 15 yards. I think there was a sack. I think Ty Chandler got tackled for a loss. They have to punt. Last year, Garantano incomplete pass. Ty Chandler fumble. Lose to Georgia State. See where I'm going with this. I think that they don't need to go to Jared Gantano in the first drive. Get creative. Let Jim Chaney get creative. Bring Jimmy Holiday, the true freshman, in at Wildcat. I mean, he was recruited as a quarterback, moved to wide receiver. He knows how to throw the ball. He's super fast. You can – all kinds of options there. You can run him, hand the ball off there at Gray, let him throw the ball. I don't know. South Carolina's going to have no clue what Tennessee's doing if he trots out there under center. I mean, they're going to be lost because they're they're preparing for Garantano all the way. And if it's not Garantano, it's JT Shrout or Brian Maurer. That's all they're preparing for. And then Garantano plays better off the bench. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what it is, but he plays better off the bench. I don't know if it's a mental thing, if it puts him in the right headspace, if it makes him mad and he it feels like he has a chip on his shoulder the rest of the game. Whatever reason it is, when somebody else starts, even if it's Jawan Jennings in the Wildcat and Garantano comes in right after that, we, uh, he just plays better. So, yeah, why not try something different? I could not agree more. If for no other reason, I'm a bit of a superstitious uh, fan. I'm kind of a, like, if Tennessee won a big game while I wore this T-shirt, I'm going to wear that T-shirt mm-hmm. sort of guy. Um, I have... I have worn the same since the start of the playoffs last year for the Titans. I have worn the same t-shirt for every Titans game. Um, And it got me an AFC championship game and two wins so far this season, you know, so clearly it's working. Um, (laughs) There is no debate there. No. Yeah, but it exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's just felt like with those opening drives, the last few seasons, just the garbage happens and it just feels like an omen. You just go, Hmm. Here we go again. This is, it's just this ominous, like, oh boy, it's Tennessee football, isn't it? I forgot. I thought maybe this year was different. It, it was like the last year with the, what was it in the Vol Navy? The boat lit on fire last <laughs> <Yeah>. year. <laughs> like, you just see, you see those signs. Uh, let's start the season off on a good note so that we don't have to feel those feelings, you know, think those super superstitious thoughts. Um, I'm with you. Throw a total wrench in it. If for no other reason than what you're saying, like I, I love that th- your point of saying that Jared is better off the bench. 
maybe it's just some like psychological thing, but he is whatever it is when last season, when somebody else got the nod and he came in off the bench, I don't know if it creates a chip on his shoulder or whatever. He was better. And so, Hey, I I'm all for it. Start out funky, do something different, uh, throw, throw a, a wrench in the spokes and, and score on the opening, <laughs> on the opening drive. That would be nice. Set the tone. Uh, because as we've already talked about, Tennessee is the is the team here. Tennessee is who should win. Assert yourself early, and you'll set the tone for the rest of the game. I think. Yeah, and look, if it if Harrison Bailey was a stud quarterback or Caden Salter coming in, I'd never dream of suggesting this. But look, everybody's hoping that Garantano is takes this big step forward. But I think we all know that he's never going to be this Heisman Trophy contender this year. It's just not going to happen. You hope for the best, but he's not far from his ceiling. Maybe he gets the offense a little better, but it's not like he's going to take off and suddenly have a Joe Burrow-like turnaround to his career. No, he's not. And so you got to do what whatever the workaround here is to make it work with a guy that's, that's never going to reach a ceiling like that. And it can be done. It's absolutely been done. Um I guess you would call a guy in that situation a, a system quarterback. There, there are ways to make somebody like a what AJ McCarron. You know, the the pieces around him worked so well that it didn't matter that he was mediocre. And so, maybe Jim Cheney can put that together. We'll we'll see. But uh, otherwise, I think uh, we we could talk circles around ifs and buts, and this is what should happen. And Tennessee is better. Blah blah blah. Let's just get down to it. Who's going to win uh, on Saturday? I'll start off. Uh, I just went on Twitter, and I just asked straight up, who's winning? What's your score prediction uh, for South Carolina and Tennessee? This is what everybody said. I'll just run through who I have so far. Travis Cabbage says, I feel like it'll be sloppy, mistake-filled, and low-scoring, but 16-12 falls. Brad, Brad Logan, who I believe he's, he's a writer, maybe for Mississippi. Uh, yeah, he actually covers sports in Jackson, Mississippi, but either way, follows me on Twitter. And he says, uh, Tennessee 28, South Carolina 17. Oh boy, Vols Guinnesser says, so this is the way that I phrased it. What's your score prediction for South Carolina, Tennessee? He says, yes, each team will score. Thank you um, for your input there. <laughs> uh, we have Rocky Top Bucks, Tennessee 35, South Carolina 10. Brandon Keith Dollar, 31-13 Vols. Bradley Weeks, 34-7 South Carolina. Cole Jackson, 24-13 Vols. Five-star Vols says 27-17. Brittany Terry says 17-14 Vols. And what do you say, Zach? Because it looks like everybody, including folks who aren't just Tennessee fans, Brad, you know, Brad Logan has said he covers sports in Mississippi. He thinks Tennessee is winning by double digits. What is your prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I don't see any reason that Tennessee should lose um, on paper. They win Pro- proved he can beat Muschamp because that's always been the question. Tennessee's never been able to beat him before last year. I mean, everything points to Tennessee. I I don't want to get cute with it and, and try to make some bold prediction. I think Tennessee wins. Uh, I would go 23, 16. I think Tennessee probably gets a defensive score maybe or at least gets the ball where they're set up in the red zone, some sort of turnover where they get the ball. Either they score or they get it close to 
Easy touchdown there. I'd go 23-16. I like it. I'm probably going to be in that same ballpark. I probably, you know, Travis Cabbage said he thinks it's going to be sloppy, low scoring. I think I agree just with the way that this offseason has been, where what we've talked about, you've had guys that have had to sit out. You have all this weirdness. Just I, I think there's going to be a lot of rust that's going to have to be uh, shaken off. And so I would say 20-21-17 Tennessee, but I think. So they cover. You got them covering. I do. I do. Just barely. Yes. Um, I'll say 21-17, but it's, it's stressful. Like mm-hmm. it goes, Tennessee goes in a halftime up 10 7. South Carolina scores a uh, touchdown field goal is up uh, 17 10. Wait, wait, that that wouldn't work out. That doesn't work out math wise. Either way, it comes down to like Tennessee gets 21 points by having, you know, a, they're down 17 14 in the final minutes and there, there's a heroic final drive, and Tennessee wins that way. Like, there's going to be something that's going to give you heart problems, as Tennessee tends to do. It's not going to be easy. Like, I don't think Tennessee's going to run away with it. Last year's game, because of a defensive score, because of a special team score, there was some separation there. By the end of the game, you were feeling good. You didn't have to stress out too much. I don't think this is going to be like that because it's just going to be ugly from start to finish. But Tennessee does uh, pull it out. So I say 21-17. We got a few more predictions here. Jake Wallman says 2014 Tennessee. Brent Moyers says three to zero. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, maybe. Um, I think there, there's gonna be a lot of rust. I don't know if it'll be that much rust. I do uh, I do agree with the sloppy comment. I can definitely see, especially in the first half, you know, maybe things kind of get straightened out, but I do think we'll see some sloppy play. Garantano traditionally doesn't really turn the ball over. I mean, he he takes some hits and He's frustrating. He misses open receivers, but he usually takes care of the football pretty well, and that's why Jeremy Pruitt sticks with him so much. But I could see there being some miscommunication with some wide receivers, especially these younger wide receivers that he's not really had a lot of time to play with. It it could be a rough one to watch for for the emotions. I'm a I'll I'll say uh, keeping my expectations low so that I can be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I'll put it that way. That's uh, the way I go through life, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, don't don't promise too much, and then you can over-deliver. But uh, just a few more. Jason Mitchell said 23-17. Good guys. I assume he means Tennessee. Trey, Trace Walker, 19-17 Vols. And Ryan Buksinski. I apologize if I said that wrong. 20-9 Vols. Everybody thinks the Vols are going to win, and I hope we are all... Right, and that all of our predictions don't look stupid uh, a Those week from tonight. Score predictions are always such a funny thing. I, I'm sure you've made tons of them over the year, right? So over many. the years. Right. I mean, how do you – you're sitting there, you're going through a list, you're picking all the SEC games one week, and you've got Alabama and Kent State, and then you've got LSU and Louisiana Tech or something, whatever, you know, two, two blowout games. How do you – how do you even begin? What's your philosophy on that? Because you could just pick like fifty nine to three for each of them. You just kind of try to try to switch it up a little bit. You're like, I'll go fifty nine on this one and fifty five <laughs> on the other one. I it, all all of it. Here's my methodology. It's just a guess. I have yeah. you know honestly, who who knows? I have been surprised so often by sports. Like I thought, you know the the. 
Titans would probably win decently comfortably against the Broncos. Uh, if we had a decent kicker who didn't miss four field goals, I would have been right. He gets it when it counts. And Goskowski today did save our butt. I, I will say thank you. Thank you, Goskowski. You won us the game today and last week, too. Um, also, you almost lost it last week, but whatever. Um, but you you just you just never know. I uh, but let's uh, again, let's all knock on wood. Say say your prayers that there are no no cases. Everybody's healthy. Good juju. And, and we'll play football next week. So. Tennessee wins is our prediction, and then next week we'll have uh, a review of this game and then a preview of Tennessee's uh, the the game the following week, and we'll go from there. This I'm excited. We're actually talking. I didn't think this day would ever come. We're actually talking about SEC football happening. Zach, did you have you ever did you ever think this would be real? No, uh, honestly, at one point, especially in maybe. Early July, when it was really looking dark, I, I didn't. I didn't think it was going to happen. I'll be honest. I, I really, I wanted it to happen. I'm not, uh, like I said, a USA Today columnist. I'm not uh, Pat Pat Forty, uh, wherever he's at these days. I, I wanted it to happen. I was rooting for college football to happen. Um, I just had a bad feeling about it. Well, hopefully now we we will be having a good feeling. Uh, lock the players up for the whole week no practice for anybody just shut it down and show up saturday and let's see what happens exactly keep them all in a what is what is it like an airtight room uh a a barometric chamber or whatever they're called you know just make do whatever we gotta do especially henry toto oh man eric gray in the offensive line and and the defensive backs keep them just anywhere safe i did like um the, they had a promo, I guess you call it a promo video of a day in the life of Henry Toto that they posted, I think, earlier today. Um, and he, in the entire video, he didn't come into contact with anybody but the football staff and other football players. So hopefully that is a reflection of real life um, and not just for the video. But I imagine Jeremy Pruitt and the staff at this point are preaching it so hard. I mean, especially the Pruitt has been frustrated with the contact tracing protocols, which he continues to talk about how it's whatever the local ordinances say about it is what they have to follow. And he understands it, but you can tell he's frustrated with it and he understands what's at stake if they don't follow the protocols. I mean, it's completely out of his hands what happens and who plays. So I imagine that's a message that's getting preached pretty consistently over on campus you'd have to think so and hopefully it works and everything works out fine this coming week but i think that is it for us any parting thoughts uh before we let the good people go i just can't wait to hear that music for real next saturday oh man uh makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up (laughs) I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT on Twitter at A to Z Sports and Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com for all that Zach writes. Thank you so much for listening and uh, join. Go subscribe uh, at uh, A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify, and you won't miss a single episode. I think that is it. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See you guys later.